I think I'm all right this morning, but I want to say thank you to all you guys. And, you know, we kind of were celebrating the last 10 years, but casting a little bit of vision about the next 10 years. And I just want to again say how blessed we are, you know, um, in being here. This is our new home. And so it's been about a year that we've been here, and it's been awesome. And uh, I believe, you know, these next 10 years, uh, we're going to look back in 10 years and have a lot of stories to tell uh, amongst ourselves, like we were talking about, you know, this weekend uh, with some things. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. And even though this is not the most convenient thing for me, I feel like this is a divine setup, 100%. And, and that's why, you know, I, I never, you know, sometimes just you just say yes. And it's inconvenient, but God's like, yeah, I know, but this is going to be so good. And so, so I really feel like that's part of what God wants to do because uh, as soon as Dave said, can you speak and, and can, you know, would it be possible to kind of go in the same vein of what I've been going with, I immediately knew what the Lord wanted me to speak about. And um, it's just been one of those things that throughout this weekend, it's just become so clear what God's doing. And so, you know, I believe that, that we're seeing... Uh, uh, a crossing over moment right now. You know, we've, we're at this new decade, we're at this time of, of for us, it was celebrating 10 years of some of the things God's been doing. Listen, literally from the ceiling or the, or the roof of this place down to the carpet, you know, God is, God is remaking things here. Come on. And, and so, you know, when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, I know the Lord wanted me to share a message on hope. And I'm like, hope, Bristol hope, you know, I believe this is a, 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 uh, it's a, it's kind of a turning of the page in a sense for Bristol hope. And just some of these things in the natural, I really do think are speaking of spiritual realities. So you might think that's weird prophetic stuff and that's okay if you think that, but it doesn't mean it's not true. So the, the reality is I just really believe God's doing something special and I believe that you know, we're in a moment where God's God's bringing new definition to some things. And so I really feel like uh, this is important. I want to say this about, the, you know, the financial piece, uh, because we were talking a little bit about, I think maybe Josh was saying, you know, this poverty thing is one of the main ways that, that the enemy robs hope from people because it's a cycle and, and people can, can tend to think that it's it's never going to change. And, you know, I just I just recently had a vision. I've shared it a couple times now. And uh, I, I sometimes have impressions from the Lord that over the years I've learned to trust. But they're very, very subtle. You know, some of you might know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and, and, and then there are moments when you say, okay, no, I clearly saw what I just saw. And you have these really clear visions. If, and again, some of you may understand. Some of you are like, I don't understand anything. That's okay. But some of you might understand what I'm talking about. And so there's moments when you have very, very clear visions. And so the other night at one of our Tuesday night worship meetings, I had a very clear picture. And I saw a man stand up and he began to whip. And I saw this image. And at first, you know, sometimes, you remember, you know, like the prophets, they would see stuff. And the Lord would be like, what do you see? And they'd be like, well, I'll tell you what I see. But I don't have no clue what it is, right? You know? And I was kind of in that moment where I'm like, Lord, what is that? I don't know. And it, and it was almost like the Lord said, look closer. And in a moment, I just all of a sudden I knew that it was Jesus. And I didn't think it was a good thing at first. It was Jesus. And I saw that he was standing up from his throne and he was beginning to whip in the second heavens. 
Now, just real quick so you understand that, the Bible talks about three heavens. There's one heaven here, which is like the earth and the atmosphere here. Then there's an unseen realm. There's a second heaven. It's where the angels and the demons are. And then there's a third heaven where God is. And there ain't nothing wrong in the third heavens, right? But the second heavens and the first heavens, we can have a mess sometimes. Are you with me? And so what I saw was I saw Jesus stand up and begin to whip in the second heavens. And I thought, immediately my mind went to that scripture where Jesus goes into the temple. Amen. See, Jesus, that was not his first time with a whip. Some of you are all like, Jesus, whip it? No, he did it in the Bible. So he grabs, he, you know, remember? In the Bible, he takes a whip and he drives the money changers out. Why? Because they were exploiting people. Yeah. And, and people who would come and need to bring a sacrifice. You ever go to a baseball stadium? And they know they can charge you whatever you want, whatever they want for a drink, because you are sitting in the sun and you are dehydrating. And they're, and they're like, just give me a small soda. And they're like, that would be $7. Right. <laughs> it's like that kind of thing happening. <laughs> but in the temple, you know, where they're like, well, you need a turtle dove to, to sacrifice? Oh, that'll be $200, you know? You're like, oh my gosh, how much is it good? Yeah, that's two million, you know, whatever. So just crazy, exorbitant, stupid prices that they're, and Jesus says you've turned it into a den of thieves. It's as if you're stealing from these people. And so he goes in there and he does not say, you know, guys, you really, this is not the way to do it. <laughs> no, he walks in, he's like, he sees what's going on. This is what I love. He walks in. He sees what's happening. This is not my message, but I'm fired up about this. <laughs> and, and, and he sees what's happening. He walks out. He goes and makes a whip. He's like, I need to get some stuff to whip some fools. <laughs> he literally goes, finds materials to make a whip. Think about this. This is premeditated whipping. Come on. Why? Because there were people that were exploiting other people and they were causing them to be robbed financially. I'm telling you that there are forces, demonic forces in the second heavens that cause the people of God to be exploited and robbed financially. Come on. And I'm telling you too that when Jesus decides to make a whip and start driving things out, he has a hundred percent success rate. So if he stood up and started whipping, I believe this. I believe it, honestly, I believe it's been an answer to some of our prayers we've been praying over the last year to break this poverty spirit. And I believe that, that what happens is that the Bible talks about moments where God renders a judgment in favor of the saints. And now all of a sudden, what you couldn't achieve before, right? Daniel 7 talks about the, the horn that, you know, the enemy is overwhelming the saints until God orders the judgment. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, the saints are able to move in and possess the kingdom. I believe we have that judgment now. I'm just telling you, this, I know this is not whatever. But I'm just, I'm just telling you, you can think I'm crazy. It's all right. It really doesn't bother me. I'm really over all that. But I'm just telling you this. I believe with all my heart, God's rendered a judgment that says, these poverty spirits, these things, the demonic forces in the second heavens, he's dealing with them now. Now hear me. That does not mean that everything is just going to be fine. It means you still have some work to do. Amen. So come to this, come to this class if this is something that you need to you know, deal with. You know that was happening, right? 
I didn't know that was happening, no. No, and believe me, I never, I never thought, hey, let's have a vision about Jesus whipping in the second heavens. That was, believe me, you know, of all the things you're like, hey, that would be, you know, never. So I really believe this is, this is something God's doing. Now, it really does relate to what I want to talk about today because hope is such a powerful force. But cycles of poverty will make you think that, you know, my grandfather lived in poverty. My father lived in poverty. I'm living in poverty. My kids are going to live in Listen to me. That's not what God's plan is. Amen. Amen. And so, but it can steal our hope. And so I want to talk about hope this morning. And, um, I, you know, what, how many of you know that uh, Rahab was a prostitute? <laughs> you know, doesn't God tell stories through some interesting characters? <laughs> you know, she became the, the great, 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 whatever it was, grandmother of David, right? Which makes her the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Amen. Not bad for a prostitute, huh? <laughs> so we want to talk about um, Rahab and, 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 and her life and what we can learn from that. Um, and, but I, I actually, I, I want to say this. You know, I love this series that David's been doing. And by the way, I wanted to say this. I feel like this is the word of the Lord for the moment. And that's just, <laughs> Dave brings word of the Lord every week, man. So I just want to honor him and that. And I'm just really glad to, to try to help give him a break every now and then because I, I know I know what it's like with you know little guys and all that. So it's very important to know this is such a, a powerful message. With the creation comes a meaning, and to name <laughs> is to define, right? Some of the messages that you've been given are so on point. To name is to define. And here's one of the things I want to. Uh, uh, emphasize. It's important. It's so important for us to know who the Father is. So this yes. whole rediscovering the Father thing is, you know, in the church, uh, uh, a lot of people know Jesus, and they might have even heard of the Holy Spirit. But this idea of the Father is really foreign to a lot of people. And yet <laughs> Jesus came to open up the way for us to know the Father. You know, he, he really, you know, Jesus in many ways, he's not trying to uh, 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 just bring us to himself. He's, he's trying to bring us to the Father. He's there to bring us into the same relationship with the Father that he has. Amen. You know, Jesus in one sense is our intermediary, right? He's gone in between us. But in another sense, it's not like we, uh, just careful how I say this, I don't want to get the wrong idea. But in another sense, he's not our intermediary because we go right to the Father. Does that make sense? Yeah. You understand that? So in a sense, yes. In a sense, no. But this is very important. And to name is to define. So God has names for himself too. And when God says what his name is, all of a sudden we start to know something else about who God is. Right? And and so I think, you know, these kinds of things are, are extremely important. And so here's, here's, the, uh, here's part of what we need to see. If we're going to, by the way, if these slides look like they were put together this morning by a very sleepy guy, that's exactly what happened. So there could be typos. I don't, there's, I, there's, I don't know what, right? Um, I, I've known what I was going to say for several weeks, but I wanted to have some slides for you guys. So, so those happened just this morning. But here's something that's extremely important. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. 
so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God calls himself the God of hope. Have you ever stopped to think that God himself is hopeful? You know why we, you know why that might be foreign to us? Because we don't really know what hope is. Because for us, we think it's like, well, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Right. That's not what biblical hope is. Right? We'll define that a little bit more. But here's another one. Uh, sorry, it's a little hard to read there, but. Against all hope, this is Romans 4, 18. Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall you, so shall your offspring be. Sorry, that's really hard to read there. Uh, could have done better with that one. It's more difficult than you think. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm just, I'm just, seriously, I'm just really glad there's slides at all. Yeah, all right? Praise the Lord. Um, Romans 4, 18. Let's think about this for a minute. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and then became the father. Wow. I want to suggest to you that one of the defining characteristics of the father and those of us who are all called to emulate the father, male and female, in his image, he made them. Yes, hello, are you with me? Yes, okay, this is not about whether you're a man or a woman. So if I say you're supposed to look like the father <laughs> and you're a woman, that's okay. Because us men are going to look like a bride. Amen. It's all good. <laughs> Everybody gets <laughs> Everybody has a little bit of... <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Anyway, there's enough to go around. I want to suggest to you that one of the defining characteristics of the father and one of the defining characteristics of looking like the father is to be filled with hope. Oh, praise God. Abraham, in order to be the father of many nations, had to hope against all hope. Amen. I love the way the, the Bible says that. Against all hope, Abraham <coughs> hoped. When it made no sense to hope. And when that was able, when he was able to do that, God was able to make him the father that he always wanted him to be. I want to tell you that the father is the most hope-filled being in the universe. He is the prodigal son's father. He is the one who looks every day to see if the son's coming. Come on. He is filled with hope. And we don't think about this sometimes because, like I said, we don't really know what hope is means. So, oh gosh, that's startling. That, now that is really nice, right? That's a beautiful image, right? And then you get through this and then you go to that and you're like, goodness gracious. Is that the face of a demon? No, that is Martin Luther. And he said some stuff that was wacky, but you know, he also said mostly stuff that was good, right? Um, and so he was really good at defining hope. Now let's define hope just for a minute. Are you, are you are you unjarred now? Is it okay? Is it... <laughs> it's a big head. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a very big head, and, and he is not. He does not look happy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that was his happy face. <laughs> that's Martin Luther happy. That's Martin Luther sad. That's Martin. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> he's here's. Let's define hope. 
Now, I used to I used to think of it differently, and I recently, like, you know, I, a couple years ago, I was really studying deep on this subject, and the Lord really changed my my mindset on this. I used to feel like hope was a precursor to faith. I actually don't feel that anymore. I think the two are completely connected arm in arm. And, and I don't think hope is any lesser than faith. Does that make sense? You can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. And so I, I started really trying to dive into this. And, um, you know, first of all, this is not the hope as we think of it. We already said that, right? This is not like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. So what is hope? I really believe hope is very similar to faith, but it just operates in a different realm in our lives. And so let me explain this. The way I would say it, now I'm open to changing my perspective on this, but the way I would say it is that hope and faith are almost the exact same thing. It's just that faith operates more in our spirit and hope operates more in our soul. That's good. Now that's how I would define it. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm fluid on that, right? I, 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 this is how I feel, how I see it now. But, but I really believe that faith is something that operates in our spirit. Now you understand, you are spirit, soul, and body, right? Your spirit is the part of you that communes with God and all that kind of stuff, and and, and direct, you know, that direct communion. It's the part of you that is one with God. By the way, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. <coughs> Come on, this is some crazy stuff when you break it down. But then we also have a soul. Yeah? And the soul is our mind, our will, our emotions, those kinds of things, right? right, right. And so I believe faith operates in our spirit. And I would say it this way. Faith is a knowing in our spirit. Yeah. Hope is the energizing of our soul. That's good. And so what happens is, and what Martin Luther said, this is why his big ugly mug is up there. But he said this, he said, faith and hope differ in respect of their subject, that is, of the grounds wherein they rest. For faith resteth in the understanding, or in your mind, hope in the will, or your soul then, but the one is to the other as to the two cherubim on the mercy seat. Isn't that awesome? So I'm studying this, and I kind of came to that conclusion in my own study, and then I looked it up, and I saw that Martin Luther said basically the same thing, and so I thought, well, all right, maybe I'm not crazy. Right? Martin Luther said that. So I believe this is how I'm defining hope these days. I used to think because of Hebrews 11, right, uh, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for. I thought, oh, well, you need hope first, and then eventually you grow into faith. But I think what Luther's saying here is much more accurate, biblically. It, 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 the two are, are as to the cherubim on the mercy seat. Faith and hope, equally important. They just operate in different places. The way he said it, they, 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 the, the grounds wherein they rest. One operates in your soul, one operates in your spirit. So that's how I would define it right now. But the thing I want you to get most importantly is that this is not the I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. That's good. This is much deeper than that. This is a hope that says, I know something is going to happen. This is a hope that has a certain uh, a certainty to it. And so the Bible says, now abideth faith, hope, and love. And I didn't make this. I just stole that right out of there. That's what happens. But I learned this weekend that the key to creativity is conceal your sources. So it says, now abideth faith, hope, and love. You know this from 1 Corinthians 13. Let me ask you a question, though. 
What is the source of love? The Father. What's the source of faith? The Father, right? You, you know, Jesus actually talked about have the faith of God, right? right? But here's the key. What's the source of hope? It's the Father. And sometimes we forget because we don't think that God is hopeful. God is the most hopeful being in the universe. Come on. So, um, so let's talk about Rahab for a minute. I love this image. So the word for hope, the Hebrew word, is the word tikva. Am I saying that <coughs> sort of close? Tikva. 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 Accent on the second syllable. Second syllable. All right. The word literally means cord. It literally means cord. And it's first used in Joshua 2 when the spies go to Rahab's house. So let's talk about this for a minute. Because, you know, in the Bible... There's this thing called the law of first mention, which means if you go to a, the, the place where something is first mentioned, many times you can, you can glean a lot of understanding from the, 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 the foundation that's laid there. Are you with me? Yeah, that's good. So I'm not going to turn to Gen uh, uh, Joshua 2 right this minute. I'm just going to tell you the story. But you know this. You know that, uh, that the, the, uh, the, 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 the children of Israel are... Encamped and ready to move into the promised land. And Joshua sends spies into the land. And he tells them, go out and spy out Jericho and see what's going on. And so they go into town and the popo get on them, right? You know, their they're, they're police are swarming around them or whatever. And so they're like, we got to go hide out in the house of the prostitute because lots of men go in and out of there. Let's be honest, right? This is what's happening here, right? There's like, hey, that's a good cover, you know? And so they go to Rahab's house and they talk to Rahab and they say, listen, you got to hide us uh, or we're going to be killed here. And she says, I, I will hide you if you promise to preserve the life of me and my family. Right. You guys remember all this? Yeah. Okay. And it's amazing what she says to them, because this non-Jewish prostitute says to her, says to these spies, we know what God did for you. We know that God parted the Red Sea. We know that God has given you this city. Now listen, she lives in Jericho. She lives in the impenetrable city with, you know, ridiculous walls. And what does she say to them? She says, I know that God's given this to you. We know that your God is going to cause you to come in here and take this city. She saw something That's good. that a lot of other people could, couldn't understand. I'm just telling you, God works in some unusual people, doesn't he? And so... She says, we know what God's done for you. And we know, essentially what she's saying is, I know that these walls are nothing for your God. They are not going to be a defense. They are not going to help. And she says, basically she's saying to them, the only hope for my family is not these walls. But it's that you would be merciful to us when you come in here. And so, 
The spies tell them, tell her what? We will be merciful to you. We will spare you and your family. But here's what you need to do. You need to have your whole family in this house. And you need to have a scarlet cord, tikvah, hanging out of your window. Wow. Wow. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Just beat Rahab for a minute. I mean, like, put yourself in her position for a second. You are in your house with your family, and the Israelites surround Jericho and start marching around them. We always think of this story from outside the walls. Think of it from inside the walls for a minute. Good. They're marching around the city. She doesn't know what's going to happen. But I can only imagine that she's, <coughs> she's hunkered down with her family there with that scarlet cord hanging out going, it's about to go down. And the only hope I have is that scarlet cord. And so eventually, she, you know, she's watching them march around day by day, silently marching around. On the seventh day, right, we know the Israelites surround the city. They shout. And what happens? I believe that the, it, was, it was their shout, but it was God's shout that came into their shout. And literally just destroyed those walls to the point where I, I, what I understand is to this day, you can't even find the remains of those walls. But I want to ask you a question. If ginormous walls were all coming down like that. Do you think there'd be a whole lot of dust? If, if, if Israelites are now storming the city, literally killing everything that moves, do you think there'd be a lot of chaos? And do you realize that it takes only one person in Israel who didn't get the memo? Hey, the house with the scarlet cord, you don't kill them. Are you following me? It's good. Put yourself in Rahab's position for a minute. Literally all around her, men, women, children are being killed. Animals, everything, slaughtered, dust everywhere. Will they see the scarlet cord? Do they know? Will they keep their promise? Are you hearing me? This is all going through her mind and the hope is all in the scarlet cord. That's good. That is an image of hope. And here's what I want us to see. Sometimes our hope might seem like a little cord hanging out the window in the midst of a fierce battle when the thickest of walls have already failed to keep us safe. Wow. That's a good word. You know, we go through life and we put safeguards in our life, do we not? It's good, yeah. man. We do things, we try to do things with wisdom. We try to do things... You know, with all this, and sometimes it, in the best of all of that, everything comes crumbling down. And in that moment, this is when you understand the true meaning of hope. When the thickest walls that you may have put up and the things that you've tried to put in place to protect you, to protect your family, to protect your children, whatever it is, has failed. And God is the only hope you have. And it's, it's a cord. This is the picture of what hope is in the Bible. So I want you, to, I want you to, to, to understand that we're dealing with something that is really speaking of, of this against all odds kind of thing. That's a good word, man. 
And so, you know, another example, this is Rembrandt's picture of Jeremiah. Maybe a little bit like Leonard, he could, you know, he, he got better hair for sure. But I don't know. Anyway. You know, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet, right? I think that's on a slide, right? He's called the weeping prophet. He was called to, to prophesy the destruction of Jerusalem and the taking back to Babylonian captivity. I'm telling you, your hope is most real in the, in the darkest moments. That's good. That's a good word. And... You know, Jeremiah has to, you know, he has a, a weighty message that he has to carry. And I don't know what's next, so there you go. Um, but he has some of the greatest passages of hope in the entire Old Testament. That's good. In the midst of all the chaos and all the destruction of Jerusalem, we see this from Jeremiah. Let's read this. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and of animals, just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down, to overthrow, destroy and bring disaster, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. Amen. That's a good word. Amen. This prophet prophesies all the time. You know, God's he's tearing down Jerusalem. He's tearing down the temple. It, destruction is coming. But in the midst of that, he prophesies this promise in Jeremiah 31. He says, listen, God says, thus says the Lord, the same way I have certainly watched over Jerusalem and the temple to destroy it is the same way that I will bring you back and plant you again. And I mean, think it's amazing that the... Uh, similarities of the language that Jeremiah has when, when God calls Jeremiah, he, he says, I've called you, Jeremiah 1, 9 and 10, I've called you to uproot and tear down, right? But I've also called you to build and plant. And I, I, I just believe that we're in a place where God's saying, some things i got to uproot out of you sometimes, but there's things I will definitely build and plant in you. And as much as I, I, I am faithful to uproot some things that need to be uprooted, I am faithful to build and plant. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Now, if you're going through hard times, that does not mean God's judging you. This is what Jeremiah is talking about, but I want to be clear. That's not necessarily what's happening in your life. We just have life that we have to walk through sometimes. Amen. And it's not God's judgment on you. But it's stuff we got to go through. And so Jeremiah prophesies this in Jeremiah 31. And he goes on and say, that's impossible to read. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant of old with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. 
Because they broke my commandment, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now, when you are in the midst of judgment or you are in the midst of a hard time and God says to you, I'm telling you, there's a better day coming. This is a picture of hope because a cord pulls you through to the next place. A cord Allows God to say, I know you're going through that spot right now, and that spot's no fun, but I'm telling you, if you'll stay connected to me, if you won't lose your hope, if you'll, if you'll continue to allow me to draw you with this cord of hope, you're going to get through to the other place. Amen. Amen. This is what we, we have in our own hearts, and this is what we offer others. This is what we offer people who are addicted to drugs. This is what we offer people who, have, who are dealing with loss. This is what we offer people. We say, listen, I know it's not good now. But if you lay hold of this cord, this cord is going somewhere. Come on. Come on. And we need to be very careful. You know, here's another piece of what, what happened with Jeremiah. There is such thing as false hope. This is Jeremiah 23, verses 16 and 17. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. Now, this is not Jeremiah he's talking about, but other prophets. They speak visions from their own mind. They fill you with false hopes, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who, have des who despise me, the Lord says, you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. Here's what's happening in Jeremiah's day. God's saying to them, the way through is going to be through this hard place. And there were people prophesying a false hope. They said, well, if you just go over here, it'll be fine. Everything's going to be cool. Don't worry about it. Stay in Jerusalem. Do you know everybody who stayed in Jerusalem got slaughtered? But those who heard the true hope, the true hope was... Go to Babylon for 70 years. Wow. And then I will bring you through. Wow. And we heard a message this weekend about not sacrificing your future on the altar of expedience. Sometimes we want to take what we think is the easy road. And God's saying, it's just not an easy road for this. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. And, and, and all we can do is say, Lord, I trust you that you're at the other end pulling the rope. And, and if I have to go through the valley, if I have to go through the hard place, that's what I'll do. God says in Hosea, he says this, he says, I will give the valley of Achor as a door of hope. Now, if you know what the valley of Achor is, you're like, what? <laughs> the valley of Achor is where they took and stoned Achan. Okay, after the, real quick, 
to make sure everybody knows what we're talking about. After the children of Israel take Jericho, they move on to a city called Ai. It's time to take Ai. And they say, hey, there's only a couple of soldiers in Ai. We'll just send out a small team. No problem, right? They send out the, the, the small army. They get slaughtered. Joshua's distraught. Lord, what's wrong? What did we do? And the Lord says, there's sin in the camp. Turns out there was Achan, who had, he was, he was a, one of the Israelites, who had taken some of the things from Jericho. You don't touch the first fruits. Belongs to the Lord. And so in the valley of Achor, God says you need to take Achan and you need to kill him. Isn't this filling you with hope? <laughs> but hear me, hear me. God says that I will give you the valley of Achor as a door of hope. If we are willing to say to God, now I'm not trying to take the easy way. It's good. If you say I've got to go this way, then I'm going to go this way. If that's the only door to hope, I will take it. There are some things in us sometimes that have to die in order for us to get pulled through to our next place. And so Jeremiah is telling the people the same thing. This is the gateway of hope. This is how you get here. Now, here's true hope. You know this, this scripture, although you probably can't read it. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. You know this scripture, one of the most famous scriptures in all of Jeremiah. If I asked you the most famous scripture in all of Jeremiah, you'd say, Jeremiah 29.11, which says... Plans to give you a... Hope and a future. We quote that all the time, don't we? Yeah, sure. An expected end. I know the plans I have for you, says Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. We quote this scripture all the time. Do you understand that right before that, Jeremiah says to the people of Israel, go to Babylon, build houses. Marry your sons and daughters. Get comfortable. Pray for Babylon. Because it's going to be 70 years. Then I will bring you back. And then he says, because I know the plans I have for you. Wow. Amen. This verse, we take it out of context. We don't understand that Jeremiah is telling the people, this is the gateway to hope. Wow. It is not always easy. And all we can do is cling to the Lord because he is the one who is filled with hope. He is the God of hope. It's a good word, dude. That's right. And so, you know, th this, this phrase, I know the plans I have for you, and then he says plans for good and not for evil. That word evil, you can could, could, you could kind of uh, pull on that and, and translate it as the way that seems right to a man. I have plans for, for good for you, not evil, not the way that seems right to a man. You know, Proverbs says that, right? There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is death. Amen. So God's saying to them, I have plans for you that, that are, are, are beyond man's plans. I know this doesn't look real good. 
I know this doesn't look like the best thing for you, but it is. It's good. Will you trust me? It's good, Jeremy. Will you trust me? That's what God's saying to us when we're going through the stuff we're going through. That's what God's saying to, to, to a church when it's going through the stuff it's going through. That's what God's saying to a city when it's going through the stuff that it's going through. I know the plans I have for you. It's not the way that seems right to a man. If you want to pursue that, you can pursue that. But if you want to cling to my cord of hope, I will pull you through to the other side. And I will plant you in the place I have for you. And I will make you fruitful. And I will bless your life. And you will walk in all I have for you. Amen. Am I talking to anybody? Yes, sir. You're talking to me. All right. No, I am. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I was just wondering about anybody else. If it's just for Eileen Storch, it is worth it, right? All right. Come on. So we could we could almost translate this this way. Actually, you can read that. Praise the Lord. This is this is a if you take all of Jeremiah and you kind of sum up what he's saying in all these chapters. The path I, this is my 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 thing. I, this is not the scriptures, but the path of hope I have for my people in the midst of my judgment is not the way it seems right to man. You must not listen to the false prophets who tell you what you want to hear. Rather, trust my long-term plan. I have a good plan for you. I will pull you through to a new place with the cords of hope. It will be your lifeline in the midst of all that's happening around you. But you must wait for my way and not walk in your own way. Only then will you know the peace and protection I have for you. My cords of hope will connect you to me and connect you to the brightness of the future I have for you. Okay. That's really good. Man. You know, the root word connected to this tikva word actually is also... Uh, the root word for weight, or the, the root itself is weight. The Hebrew root word is weight. That's why God's saying to them, you've got to wait for my timing, for my plan. It's, there's a connection between hope and waiting. That's good. I mean, you know, we're waiting on some stuff. I agree. We're waiting for the fullness of what God has for us. And sometimes it's just the obstacles in our lives and our hearts that he's got to move out of the way. Aren't you glad he doesn't do it all at once? Amen. I'm so glad God didn't tell me all my faults and shortcomings all at once. It crushed me, right? So he does it little by little and he says, just keep trusting me. Keep walking in my way. Keep waiting. Keep waiting. And waiting is not, listen, the Hebrew understanding of waiting is not when you just kind of sit there and do nothing. The, the idea of waiting is actively joining yourself to the Lord. As a matter of fact, the word wait has a picture related to it, and it's like a vine tangling around a tree. When you wait on the Lord, it's like you're entangling yourself with Him. Amen. He's saying, if you'll wait on me, if you'll entangle yourself with me. See, these are cord words. They're, they're, it's about vines and cords, right? So that's why the roots are similar. But He's saying, if you'll wait on me, if you'll attach yourself to me, I will pull you. Good. So we come to this and Okay. Leonard, I'll probably wrap up in about five minutes here, so just a heads up, but um, we come to our anchor. Right? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. 
firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest in the order of Melchizedek forever. Hebrews 6, 19-20. So, here, the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews. Great. One person got it. Okay, the book of Hebrews <laughs> is written to the Hebrews. He's writing to people who would un have understood Jeremiah, who would have understood Rahab, would have understood this picture of a cord. And he says, Hope is like an anchor. Now let me tell you something. If you have an anchor and you drop it in the water, is it going to help you? Only if it hits the ground. It's got to hit ground. Even before that. It's got to be tied. It's got to be tied off, y'all. You drop the anchor in the water, you only going to do that once. Right? Listen, the thing that makes an anchor work is the cord. It's the connection. And what's God telling us in this scripture? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. We have someone who's gone on before us. And he is in the holy place. Listen to me. The cord that connects you to the Lord is anchored behind the veil. In the very presence of God. Whatever you're going through in this moment, whatever we're going through, and if this is Bristol Hope Assembly, we better get this right. Whatever's happening, we need to understand that we are connected with a cord that is pulling us, no matter what it's got to pull us through, it's pulling us to the very presence of the throne room of the King. That is where your hope is anchored. What's on the other end of the cord? God in his holy sanctuary. <laughs> Come on. It doesn't get any better than that. And Jesus has gone before us. He's entered on our behalf. He's become our high priest. And this is the hope we have. That no matter what we're going through, this is where we're going. So I want to encourage you guys this morning. I believe this is just a, 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 just a moment. And, you know, we heard, you know, Robert Stearns talk about prisoners of hope. On Thursday night, I just believe there's, there was so much that just affirmed that this, I believe this is a word for the, for the moment, you know, and we need to be very careful that we say to the Lord, Lord, wherever you need to take me through, whatever I need to go through, because it's refining you and I, it's making us better, it's making us more, look more like the God of hope. It's making us look like the Father. The more we see who He is, the more we know who we're supposed to be. So He is the God of all hope. And He is forming in us this hopefulness in our soul, an anchor for our soul that says, Lord, I'm anchored to your presence. And I'm connected with the core. Whatever I have to go through, whatever's going on, financial difficulties, bad doctor's reports, anchored. Amen. You're pulling me through. Amen. Come on. Come on, let, let's stand this morning.
Father, we acknowledge that you are the God of all hope. Just lift your hands to the Lord for a minute. And we don't need to, you know, if you want to lift your voice for a moment, we can do that. But, you know, you don't, just in your heart even right now, just honor him as the God of hope. I believe when you honor God according to his names, he will manifest according to his names. So Lord, right now we honor you as the God of hope. We say you are the one who is filled with hope. Lord, that every day you dream the dreams over us of our expected end of our good end, of, of the good plans that you have for us. Lord, we're saying to you today, we want to trust you more deeply with your plan. We want to trust you more deeply with what you're doing. Father, we don't want to second guess when we deal with trials or tribulations, but we want to know, Lord, that we're connected on the other end and we're coming through no matter what. Father, we declare today that our hope is not in anything else but you. Lord, we don't want to trust in the walls we've built. We don't want to trust in all those things. Lord, even though those things might be good and there's wisdom in having them sometimes, Father, our one true hope is in you, the living God. So, Father, we just thank you for removing all false hopes from us today. Lord, all the false hopes that we may be resting on. Father, every false financial hope. Lord, all of it. Father, we just, we just lay it down at your feet. We say, Lord, you're the one who keeps us. You're the one who watches over us. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we, we trust you with our children. We trust you with our, with our parents. We trust you with our, our bloodline, Lord. Lord, those that we love the most, we trust you with them. Lord, let us be filled with hope for what you'll do in them. We cling to it, Lord. So, Father, we thank you today for pulling us through. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. Victor Frankl, a uh, man that was a man that survived Auschwitz, a trained psychiatrist, but then he's taken by the Nazis and brought him to Auschwitz. And in, in his famous work, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, he says that the the worst thing that can befall a man is the extinguishing of hope. Anything can befall you, but when, when, when you lose the, the idea in your spirit of hope, it's over. Your soul is extinguished. And I just wanted to leave us with, with, with this. What Bishop Stearns was teaching at Zechariah chapter 9, verse yeah. 11. As for you also, because of the blood, 
Because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. I don't know if anyone here is in a place where you feel that you're in a pit where the water has run dry. It's a place of the extinguishing of hope. Yeah. You're in a desert place and you're living there. And you're like, well, I, I need water to survive, but where is the water to my life? Where is the living waters that the scriptures have been promised to me? And I don't know if there's someone or many people here that are living in that place of like, but your word says I'm supposed to have hope. Your word says I'm supposed to have life. Your word says I'm supposed to have abundant life, but where is it? I don't see it in my life. The prophet continues. He says, return to the stronghold. You prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare that I will restore double to you. And I feel like the Lord is just saying with, with this weekend, with Robert Stearns, what Jamie has just been uh, preaching at right now, is this, it's time for us to return and willingly become prisoners again. Come on. It's time for us to say, I adopt the chains of being a bond servant of Christ. A beautiful stronghold of hope. Yeah. To be a prisoner is to be in chains, but here the Lord is saying, because of the blood of my covenant, I'm having you be put into chains as a bondservant of Christ. Yeah. But in that place of hope, the true living water that can flow out of any pit. And so I just want to invite you guys as, as you know, we're going to close up now. We have refreshments downstairs. As you guys part the century, please do it in a, in a somewhat quiet manner. Because for those of you that are struggling with feeling a lack of hope, it can be a very, very tender and emotional place. And I just want to invite you to come on down. If you're struggling with not feeling and seeing the expression of hope in your life, we just want to pray for you that you would become a prisoner of hope again. That only can happen when you bear the covenant of blood and you become a bondservant of Christ. Amen? Yeah, amen. amen. Have a wonderful week. Please, once again, if we like some pr prayer, please come on down and we will be praying for you. Lay hands on you.